there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in breaking into the legal or animal welfare world or housing, housing providers, public policy, any of the above, then this is the episode for you because my next guest has been working at the intersection of those fields for the last seven years and is actually founded her own practice, built her own niche dedicated to helping people and their pets and housing providers. But before I introduce you to Abby Volan, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's weekly newsletter that comes out on Mondays and gives you a sneak peek into the episode's and the professions we're going to be featuring that week, and it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee, all of those words are smushed together, dot org, timeforcoffee.org, and the sign-up box is right there. Now, my animal lovers and people who are interested in housing, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest is Abby Volan, the founder of Opening Doors, a team of animal accommodation law experts who advocate for tenants with pet-related housing issues and also help housing providers manage pets on their property. Abby is a nationally recognized expert on animal accommodation law and frequently holds lectures for landlords, attorneys, animal welfare advocates, and healthcare providers. Prior to starting Opening Doors, Abby worked as a policy specialist at the Humane Society of the United States and began her career as a litigator. Abby has volunteered with numerous shelters and rescue groups over the years and has fostered countless pets, much to the chagrin of her resident cats. Abby, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Oh, I am ready to go. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you. What's your caffeinated beverage of choice? First thing in the morning is coffee. That's non-negotiable. Any other time during the day, I try to have tea. Okay. And how do you take your coffee? One packet of Truvia and almond milk. Nice. Okay. So you like it sweet. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Not too sweet. Not too sweet. Well, we are going to get into our 10 espresso shots. And as you and I were chatting before we started this recording, you have really kind of created your own niche. So we're going to try to widen the lens just a bit to say that your field really is about housing. Yeah. So my work really sits at the intersection of housing stability and healthy communities. And it's public health, it's law, it's animal welfare, it's housing. It's kind of the confluence of of all those things and their intersection and how they all relate. Because putting things in silos often really doesn't get at the actual problems that underneath the surface. Awesome. So we are going to frame these espresso shots around housing stability, public health, animal welfare, 
So those of you who have an interest in any or all of the above will learn lots more about how all of these things intersect. The first question being, what entry-level jobs, Abby, are available to young people who want to break into these fields? So that's a really interesting question, just because my work sits at the intersection of several different fields. There's the legal aspect, social worker, public health, property management. So it really depends on the aspect that really sings to you. You're starting out. One thing you can do is working with advocacy groups as a program coordinator in legal capacity or social worker capacity, community organizing, work with tenant advocates, fair housing, ability and poverty. If you want to work on the legal aspect, well, then start off working as paralegal for a landlord tenant firm or see if you can just get involved in, in a lot of pro bono work doing it. Also, if you're interested in the housing side, work as a community manager for a housing property, and then you can learn the ins and outs of residential property management. So it really has endless possibilities. It can be overwhelming. You just have to pick the aspect that is most meaningful to you. Fantastic. What is a useful hard and soft skill, Abby, that you look for in the young people that you hire? I look for empathy and the ability to connect with others, people who are creative. I look for people who are willing to own up to their mistakes. I also like people who challenge me. I understand I don't have all the answers. And sometimes you need someone to say, you know what, here's a way we might be able to do it that might be better. And a lot of my emails at the end, I'll say, tell me why I'm wrong. And so I do look for people who are going to tell me, they have an opinion that's different. But at the end of the day, you also have to acknowledge that you're all sides. And then you, you do forget with the party line at the end of the day. In terms of hard skills, it's a matter of being very thorough and meticulous and you know having very good communication skills and top-notch writing skills. And then if you're an extrovert, certainly... There's room for both extroverts and introverts, depending on which aspect you want to work on. Absolutely. And depending upon what kind of personality you are, which is great. What about someone's major? Is it a deciding factor? I don't even know if there is an undergraduate degree in housing or public housing, but certainly somebody could study public health, have some kind of a legal background as an undergrad. Is it a deal breaker? Absolutely not, because this is something that I kind of meandered into. It really was just kind of the culmination of all of my studies put together. But it took me 18 years to get here. So major is not a deal breaker in the slightest. But what matters more is the experiences that you have. Have you gotten out of your bubble? Have you been introduced to communities that are unlike your own? Have you seen how what problems exist in other communities that are not like yours? What learning and studying and reading have you done on your own? What have you done with your passion and talent? What have you learned from it? What assumptions did you start with that changed once you had more information? So I really look for people who have a lot more curiosity than anything else. And often, I find that majors are signals. They're signals of the type of skills you have and the type of work you like to do. But you can always learn new information. And so that's really what's more important. The way that I have come to describe the importance of majors, and there are some fields that you go into where the major is relevant, but I would say more often than not, your college major, instead of thinking of it 
as the tiny house that you're going to be forced to live in for the rest of your life. Think of it as the foundation of a professional skyscraper that you're going to be building over the course of your professional life with each new job and each new career, adding a new floor to that skyscraper. Absolutely. I think that's a great way to put it. What about a graduate school degree? I'd have to imagine, Abby, that certainly if you want to be a lawyer, you're going to need to get a law degree. But clearly with housing and public policy and all of that coming into play here, what do you think are the most useful graduate school degrees to have, if any? So again, it's going to depend on the aspect that you want to cover. I in general, I think nearly everyone benefits from working for a few years before going to graduate school. I actually have a friend who at 38 decided she wanted to go back to school for her master's in social work. And it is so interesting hearing the stories from her because she is so laser focused on what she wants to do. And so she uses her coursework to do the kind of research that is going to help her move to the next stage. And that was something for me as well. I really appreciated taking a little bit of time off between grad school and undergrad and law school. If anything, I wish I took a little more off so that I could be more focused. But again, okay, so what graduate degree should you get? It's going to depend on the aspect. If you want to be a lawyer, yes, you are going to have to get your law degree. But it's not necessary. Depending on your experience, you could have all the experience you need to do this type of work without going to grad school. So it's really going to depend on the aspect you choose. And do you think you have the skills to make it to that next step? Or do you need the letters and more learning opportunities by your name to be able to do that work? You've already touched on this next espresso shot. The question is, what kind of life experiences are most useful for someone starting out in this field? And you did say pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone, getting to know other communities, familiarizing yourself with the way people are living. What other kinds of life experiences do you think would be helpful for someone who's interested in the cross-section of all of these different areas? Certainly understanding who the relevant major players are in your community, who are the biggest housing providers, who are your tenant advocates, who are your public figures and politicians who could be your allies. And one thing I I also truly believe in is understanding that this is not a zero-sum game. This isn't if I win, you lose. This is really an area where everybody should be able to walk out of the room feeling happy about the resolution. And understanding that, I think, is through different life experiences is really important. That was actually something I didn't learn until I worked as a lawyer, which is kind of funny. That's not what you expect. But as a lawyer, it is really important in most cases to be able to walk away mostly happy with what you've gotten. And I would think that Working as a volunteer, whether it be in your city hall or in your neighborhood, there's some kind of a neighborhood community association, volunteering on a political campaign or volunteering at a shelter, at an animal shelter. There's so many different ways that you can engage in your community that would give you at least an insight into whether this is something you enjoy. Absolutely. 
And that's also part of knowing who the relevant major players are. You're not going to know who they are until you roll up your sleeves and just dig in. Certainly the way I found that I wanted to get into animal welfare work was because I started volunteering with shelters. And that's when it kind of clicked for me, like, oh, yeah, this is what I want to do. And especially getting into nonprofit can be a very difficult thing to do. And I always recommend volunteer, even if just doing data entry, you have to learn what that industry is all about and what role you can play in it. So it's just whatever industry suits you and and calls to you. It's just really learning more about it and how it works and what skills are needed. That's crucial. Absolutely. And I think when Abby was saying nonprofits are really hard to get into, she's absolutely right, just because so many people do want to work there. But you can make yourself invaluable Mm -hmm. by getting in there as a volunteer, by finding where you can plug the gaps and volunteer within the office to help out all different kinds of people. And the next thing you know, they're saying, this person is a go-getter. This person has a great attitude. This person is a self-starter. We need to find a way to keep them around. Absolutely. And I think this goes for most industries, but your reputation is everything. When people hear your name, what do they think about you? Always something to keep in mind when you have interactions. So, Abby, what is the best part for you of being in this profession as a animal accommodation legal expert? The best part is helping people and creating those stronger communities. I'm working with a landlord association group, trying to work through animal accommodation issues, helping tenants with their pets so that they don't have to make that choice between housing or their family member working with universities to help them navigate challenges that arise when you add pets to the campus. My job is really about solving problems that create stronger, healthier communities. And that is just something that is very satisfying for me. And what about the flip side? What is the part of your current job that sucks the most? (laughs) So constantly having to drum up business and create new revenue streams is daunting and exhausting for me. I I think of myself as an extroverted introvert. So I can certainly go out and do networking and be on, but then at some point, I've had enough and I've kind of done it. So always having to generate new business can be very tiring. I have to convince potential clients that they actually do need my services and they have to pay for that. I can't tell you how many inquiries I get where people just want quick advice or to pick my brain. And and while I know that my expertise is valuable, it's taken me a long time to realize. And you can't just give away things for free, even though your heart says, oh my goodness, but I need to give them this information so that they get this right. At the end of the day, I have to eat as well. Absolutely. Abby, what is the best career advice you've ever gotten? There are quite a few things that stick out to me. One of my old supervisors would always say he would look after the downside because the upside will take care of itself. I don't see that as cynical. I see it as realistic. And it also lends itself to something that my dad has always instilled in me, which is you have to have a contingency plan, ideally multiple. So even though Avenue A, it's looking like it will work out, well, what happens if it doesn't? And having that prepared is something that goes a long way to helping me sleep at night. And then one of my guiding principles is that you can't solve a problem until you define it. And that usually means 
collecting data and analyzing it and studying it. I can't tell you how often I would run into projects where people just start working on something by making assumptions or saying, well, we know this is a problem. So here's how we're going to solve it. And I always say, but you don't know what problem you're solving. If you don't have the data and the research backing it up, how do you even get to measure it? A lot of times I'll find people don't want to do a study. They'll be afraid to because what if it doesn't say what we need it to? And my answer to that is, well, that means you have to adjust your assumptions and you have to adjust what problem you're solving. Your program should be guided by the data and not the other way around. That's just something that I see happen a lot. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. So two final espresso shots. What movies, if any, or Netflix, Hulu, Amazon shows, or books, do you think accurately depict your profession, understanding that you've created your own niche so you can pick any or all of the above? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's kind of the challenge to answering that question. One book that comes to mind because it really has impacted me in the way I look at this book. It's called Evicted. If you haven't read it, they follow eight families around Milwaukee, eight families who are struggling to pay rent to their landlords during the financial crisis of 2008. People who have resources and money, they'll usually be able to find a way to make things work. They may need a little bit of guidance, but it's usually not that dire. But it's people who don't have that safety net underneath them. Those are the ones that really fall through the cracks in ways that are detrimental to their families and their communities. And that's really what this book highlights. You know, there are about nine determinants of a healthy community and housing stability is the common thread throughout nearly all of them. So, you know, what Evicted shows is that when one family is dealing with housing insecurity, it just ripples throughout the community. Oh, gosh. Well, we'll make sure to include that in our show notes for sure. Final espresso shot. What would Java junkies be surprised to learn about your profession, Abby? This is about people. It's really not about pets. We have an affordable housing crisis hitting many parts of this country. And when it comes to pets and housing, those are some of the most vulnerable residents because a lot of housing providers don't allow pets. And especially when you don't have options to move, moving is very expensive. And if you don't have the option to move, you know where to go or you're in public housing and there aren't other options available, you are very vulnerable. And people will have pets no matter where they are. But if you have to hide in your apartment because of it, that just makes you that much more ripe for abuse. So I find that the issue of pets and housing is really a people problem. It's part of affordable housing and pets just happen to be the angle. I think that's surprising. Even for me, when I started animal welfare, what I've taken out of it that's had the most influence on me is that this is about people and not pets. I have much more compassion for people than I did before I was in the animal welfare world. Well, the world is a better place because people like you are in it. That is for sure, Abby. And I want Thank our you. listeners to know that if they want to learn more about what Abby does as an animal accommodation legal expert, they should check out show notes for this episode to see if Abby's main T4C episode has already dropped. Abby, 
thank you so much for making time for coffee today with me and the T4C community. And thank you so much for the work that you and your colleagues are doing to try to help so many people in need. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.